so it gives you that ability to improve your your problem solving skills but also like so some of the people that I teach they don't necessarily want to be developers because not everybody does and I get that um but they work in things like SEO and a lot of these SEO tools now I think there's a Google one um is written using Python so they don't need to know much Python but they need to understand it um, and then I've got another person who is a product owner and works with their developers. So having that little bit of coding background enables them to have better conversations with their developers. And even from a, um, a sort of founder's point of view, you know, if you're going to be hiring developers to build your apps, like you don't want to be going into this blind. You want to have some kind of understanding of what it is that you need to build um, and then you can kind of be reassured that when you're having those technical conversations that you're um, getting what you want out of it rather than just kind of giving it over to someone else and hoping for the best. I'm Chris O'Hare, your Quick Win CEO. And as a CEO, I've run businesses, founded startups, consultant for others and even won awards. But in the show, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs and experts to help you understand key concepts for your business, along with three quick wins that you can take it away and apply to your business today. And every week, we'll be finding out about the entrepreneur themselves and diving into a different but important topic. And it's competition time at the moment. I'm giving away 10 of my favorite business books, including Lean Startup and Business Model Generation to one lucky winner. And these are great for all levels of skill from a CEO to founder. And to enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, then scroll to the bottom and leave a review. It doesn't have to be detailed. You can just say that you love this podcast. Then email quickwinceo at hair.digital to say that you've entered. And in this show, we're talking to Melanie Shatinsky, a developer who's worked for the likes of The Telegraph and now has her own business called My Code Kit, a software-based toolkit that breaks down the complicated barriers of coding for youngsters and promotes failure as a tool for learning. And first we find out about Melanie, what coding is, and why it's a vital job skill for the future. And before we discuss the various ways you can get started with coding along with her quick wins to speed up that process. So if you wanted to understand coding a bit more in layman terms, this episode is for you. So here we go, Melanie Shatinsky. Thanks, Melanie, for um, agreeing to be on this uh, podcast show. What's that thing that you you read or watched or that kind of left an impression on you, uh, whether a Netflix series, a, a funny video or a book that you read, just uh, to give the audience uh, an insight into you and on something that you found interesting um yeah so I, I wouldn't say it's like a particular thing a particular podcast so I'm a big fan of podcasts absolutely adore them um but there is a podcast called uh conversations of inspirations by Holly Tucker um and at the end of it so she does these conversations with lots of different entrepreneurs and their journeys and um at the end of it they always write a letter to their past selves which I always think is quite nice and it's like that kind of like oh like then you have that moment yourself where you're going, oh, if I was going to write that letter to myself, what would I say? And it's just really nice and um, seeing their journeys and seeing where they've come from. That's really interesting. So what is it's about reflection then? It's about yeah. self-reflecting. And so are you taking that and learning from it? Or is that almost like a, a point in time where you're feeling that, you know, you could kind of say, or oh, this it's almost like a checkpoint in your life. Yeah, I think like the the bit at the end, which is like the conversations to their past selves is like, like you say, it's almost like that checkpoint in your life. But the really nice thing about these set of podcasts is um, a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts will be like, oh, look, this is fantastic. Look at all these great things that we're doing. And they don't show like what goes on underneath. Um, as you know, like when you're starting your own business, there's all this other stuff that's kind of underneath that no one ever sees because we all hide it and pretend we're all doing hunky-dory and what this does is a nice way of showing that and a nice way of being like okay you're not on your own we've all gone through this process of um starting a business and these are the sort of things that happen right okay it sounds a bit like a diary I mean if you if... <laughs> yeah like, is, li- is that... like listening to someone else's diary <laughs> <laughs> just to 
an interesting point because um, you only really learn from your past experiences, right? And you only really exactly. think about um, what you can do better um, if you reflect on exactly what you've done in the past. And and that's a, it's a big entrepreneurial um, thing where we have to make sure that whatever we're doing now is the most optimal and the most efficient way of doing it. So I really like that. So I'm definitely going to have a go away and, and look at it. But anyway. Yeah, check it out. So let's talk about you and who you are um, and what it is that you do. So what's your business now or, or what, what kind of, because we know you're a developer and we know that you uh, run a, a business, but you also do a training course. So tell us about those. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, like, like you said, I'm a developer. I've been a developer for 13 years now. Um, um, I actually got into it because I failed my A-levels and didn't end up doing a media course, really wanted to go into radio. Um, and then that's kind of like how my whole career started was from this failure. Um, so I, I have, like you say, I have a training course and a business, which are both uh, based around coding and failure and trying to show that failure is just a first attempt in learning. When you're coding, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is 90% of it is stuff going wrong. Like it is that debugging process that's coding. Um, so that's kind of how my code kit came about is from seeing uh, young people go through that process and not having the resilience there to continue. And um, so what my code kit are building is a platform to help those young people learn how to code but build that resilience and encourage that first attempt in learning and then I take the same sort of learnings and I put that into a training course which is for adults because after speaking to a bunch of different adults they've all had the same thing as they've tried these different online courses and not getting very far with it so I also run a introduction to python course which focuses on making mistakes and getting stuff wrong but also teaching you how to deal with that afterwards um so you know it's all well and good doing an online course and being like yeah i got this right but if you then can't figure out how to fix it for yourself it's not very good so that's kind of what my two businesses do is based on teaching you failure is a good thing we like failure and coding i spend half my life like failing <laughs> that's a really good point and i think everyone should learn that um in, in all aspects of life is that failing like as we iterated on before, and I can see why you picked that interesting fact um, or kind of task that you do um, in terms of, you know, reflecting back on your previous self. So I would like to say that failing is is easy for me now, but it really isn't. And I still really struggle with it. Maybe I need to do your course, Melanie, um, because I still get frustrated myself. And, and, it's, and I guess it's about teaching yourself that it's a natural part of the journey okay yeah, um, exactly but that's really interesting about failing and it's not what a lot of people know and and I think there's a lot of self-improvement that that people tend to go through where they, they're learning something new and they 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 don't quite finish that thing that they're learning in terms of you know if it's coding or if it's you know um, I've started to learn how to use a, a proper DSLR um and i'm like oh this is frustrating there's there's so much here to learn and and but essentially by making those mistakes i'm learning i'm coming back and i'm improving and, and getting better about them but um so where did that coding and failure kind of motto come from what 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 was it in in your past that you went oh do you know what that that's really irritated me and you so because you said you saw it in young people but what about yourself? Did you, do you ever experience that yourself? Oh, massively. Um, so I began my coding journey by accident. Like I say, I failed to do my A-levels. So I failed to go into radio. Um, and I started as a rental agent at the age of 17. Um, but turns out I was rubbish at that. So they stuck me upstairs and they went, you know, you're going to be the PA. I'm getting to the point. Don't worry. Um, and then one day uh, they were like, we need a new CRM system. So I naively thinking I don't want to lose my job was like, why don't we build one? And then even more naively went, I'll do it. Um, so that was really like the first time that I'd ever come across coding. And I failed massively. I had all these books and all these expectations, mostly expectations of myself, because again, it's my first ever job. Didn't want to get fired. 
Um, and then that's kind of continued. So like in coding, um, I've learned lots of different things in my career and I've done, you know, a mixture of back-end development and front-end development. And I'm I like, I'd hand on heart, learn something new every single day and fail at something new every single day. I'm just doing a piece at the moment with uh, genetic algorithms, um, which please don't ask me what they are because I'm still failing at that and still kind of trying to work that out myself. So yeah, like in my experience, definitely it's something I've come across every day. Um, and I think where me wanting to make that more accessible to everybody else is when you try and Google these things or you look on places like Stack Overflow, like the internet is a scary place and you end up with a bunch of people going, oh, how, how can you not know that? And I want to kind of demystify that a little bit and be like, okay, it's not just for those people that have spent the past 10 years doing it, like actually we can break this down in a in a really logical way um because I wish I'd had that really rather than just kind of going on the internet going ah yeah no I completely agree stack overflow is um the perfect place for that (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of the times they're wrong as well or they give you lots of different alternatives to the code um and if anyone doesn't know about stack overflow it's basically a a forum for for developers to post their questions or non-developers to post questions and for developers to respond to them and, and help them with those. But yeah, it's it's a massive uh, repository of, of craziness. Um, but don't let that put you off coding. No, uh, no, no definitely not. Because <laughs> it, it definitely really helps. And um, Google's your friend when, you, when you're co- coding, which I'm sure Melanie completely agrees with. Because uh, most of the time we just don't know, do we? Uh, when we're coding, half the time we we take a a bit of um, inkling of what we've done in the past, and then we we come back and we go, oh, yeah, I remember this, and then we go away, we Google it, and then we we remember how to do it, or or we find a new way of doing it. So um, that's that's really good in terms of explaining what failure means to you, and kind of what what as an entrepreneur gets you out of bed in the morning what why are you doing these you know my code kit and what's that driver for you or the training course what what's it um you know that makes you get out of bed um i think it is that it's that thought of making it accessible to everybody um because i don't believe that it shouldn't be i think it's just having the right tools there and knowing where to look um and yeah, it's just that thought of being able to help somebody make their life a little bit easier by, you know, you might write a script which automates part of your process. Um, like, I feel like that knowledge should be shared and that's what kind of makes me think, oh, like I can do something better here. Um, especially when it comes to the, um, the the education stuff. So my co-kit is aimed at GCSE students um, and I used to work in a school. So I'm actually a trained secondary school teacher as well, just why not? Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot there where computing came into the curriculum in 2014, but schools weren't necessarily prepared for that. Um, and now there's this whole thing where there's a bunch of teachers that are teaching that don't want to be because uh, they've got a lack of teachers. So I want to be able to help in some way to be able to um, give those students like the same kind of opportunities as everybody else. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, if what would I have done differently if I had a teacher that um, taught me how to learn rather than just the material? Um, and I guess, and it is quite rewarding when you see that that expression of realization on people when you go, "Oh wow, you know, oh that's how you do it." Um, not that I teach many many people um, now, but uh, definitely think. That I can see why you would find that a driver. So obviously you've got these amazing businesses and, and you're doing really well in terms of your course and my code kit. Um, now, I suppose we should really talk about coding um, and your specialism um, and and that kind of help our audience to, to get to grips with code themselves. So um, I'm going to dive into some questions and ask you some questions and hopefully we can uh, shed some light on on the the kind of topic which is coding right so just out of interest how would you define coding what what is it that coding would um if you're going to tell someone who didn't really understand what coding is what what would you say coding is um so i actually 
Googled this question. Okay. Um, and like the, you know, the definition is coding is a computational language, which enables you to write programs. Um, but you didn't ask that you asked what is coding to me coding to me is much more than that like coding to me is it's uh, the freedom to be able to build something yourself it's the creativity um it's the problem solving um it's the making your life a little bit easier like i say being able to automate stuff um just to make that process a little bit easier so it doesn't have to be making a big app like it could just be creating a small tool um so would you say that because a lot of people see coding as this big gigantic thing and you're saying it's just about script you know creating a script right or you know in terms of the automation in terms of making sure um that you are taking yourself out the the equation and the computer's doing these potentially administrative tasks would you say that's what coding could be yeah, definitely. Like, I think um, you people sometimes get a little bit bogged down in trying to do like these big projects with um, coding, but really it could be just something as simple as um, you need to go and look at 10 websites. You can write a script using some already built libraries and libraries of stuff, uh, pieces of code, reusable code that other people have written. Um, and you could write that in an hour. And that could save you, say, four hours of going through all these individual websites and searching for, I don't know, the call to action, the button or something like mm-hmm. that. Like it could be something as simple as that. Um, but it's it's giving you, it's like I say, it's, it's giving you the freedom to be able to build these tools yourself, um, which is what coding would enable you to do. It doesn't need to be massive. And it's, it's a really important point that we break down the barrier to, to what coding is. I mean, um, someone asked me is is a no code app is it still coding and i was like well yeah because actually coding is a lot about the logic yeah actually yeah like the the actual language itself is just that it's just syntax it's just a language um and for me when when i code it's about actually the bigger problem is problem solving and it's that ability to go through a set of stages or steps um, at, to get to where I want it to be at the end of it. And, and if people can learn that, then coding is just like learning learning another language, right? It's just learning the syntax to do that. So to your point earlier, when you said about, you know, coding, like we Google a bunch of stuff, like absolutely. So I know quite a few different languages just because um, different projects have needed different languages, but that is all it is. It's syntax. Like I just because I Google something like, uh, I may know that I need to do a for loop, which is a piece of code, which loops round and iterates the same piece of code in a slightly different way each time. Um, and I might have forgotten how to write that in JavaScript or PHP or Python. That doesn't make me a bad coder. That just means I just forgetful. Um, but I know the kind of like, I know the the logic that I need to put together, but not necessarily the syntax. The syntax can come later. That's why in my course, I teach Python because the syntax is so simple because that's not the important bit that can then be transferred to a different language. The important bit, like you say, is the logic. Um, But yeah, I don't agree with your no code point as well. Like I, so for the prototyping for my code kit, I'm using a part no code, part code solution. And for the no code stuff, like, yes, there's no physical syntax in there, but I'm still having to map it out the same way using flowcharts and different diagrams and stuff like that, as I would if I was doing a code problem and having those problem solving skills enable me to do that. Out of interest, what is that tool that you're using? What's that called? Um, So it's called AppGiver. It's not got the best name. (laughs) Yeah, us coders are not the most creative. Although I was having a conversation in another podcast about um, creativity is just about uh, creating ideas, right? And uh, and that, so, uh, yeah, if in one respect or building, right? And creating, building is creativity. Yeah. And in one respect, you know, coders and developers are probably some of the most creative people on the planet when you think of it that way um instead of being the artistic side we're, we're more about engineering builders so uh yeah that was an interesting point that i learned the other day but um 
that's that's good in terms of um kind of giving that that tool out the app giver i think that people are going to like the look at that yeah it's um, good in, in terms of why people should code what, what is it that you feel that people should do in terms of coding is it that um the fact that they could potentially change their careers or do you think it could uh, strengthen the position um, in their current job or um, enable them to have a bit more confidence when it comes to a technical tool that they're using um, what would you say why why is it useful um, I'm really sorry about that. I, I said to Chris before this started, we've got works going on both sides. So probably hearing lots of banging. Um, I, th I think like all of those points really. So I think obviously it's, it's no secret. Coding has great job opportunities um, and it, it does pay very well, you know, let's say it how it is. Um, but it, it, it is more than that as well. Like I say, it's, it gives you that ability to improve your code, your problem solving skills, but also like, so some of the people that I teach, they don't necessarily want to be developers because not everybody does. And I get that. Um, but they work in things like SEO and a lot of these SEO tools. Now, I think there's a Google one um, is written using Python. So they don't need to know much Python, but they need to understand it. Um, and then I've got another person who is a product owner and works with their developers. So having that little bit of coding background enables them to have better conversations with their developers. And even from a, um, a sort of founder's point of view, you know, if you're going to be hiring developers to build your apps, like you don't want to be going into this blind. You want to have some kind of understanding of what it is that you need to build. Um, and then you can kind of be reassured that when you're having those technical conversations that you're um, getting what you want out of it rather than just kind of giving it over to someone else and hoping for the best. So, yeah, there's definitely lots of different benefits to learning to code as well as, you know, the obvious, there are great job opportunities. So, yeah, I can definitely hear your uh, your builders now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in terms of why so it's really it's really interesting that you you talk about your your course participants and why they are doing you know the, your course um and I, I guess for me it was it's about um taking that stigma away from um code in terms of almost democratizing code in terms of taking it away from uh being a job but actually being a part of your life and when you think about where the world is going were you know jeff bezos says every company is a data company and i spoke to another entrepreneur the other day and he, he was like every company is a software company um that's where the world is going with this with this data and therefore people need to be able to either retool or reskill because potentially their jobs become um different right they're not they're not necessarily going to lose their jobs but they could become different of what they do um i know the law or the legal profession is going to have a massive restructuring when ai starts to look at how um the the kind of junior lawyers um or legal assistants go through all the the text in in terms of all the the legal cases because that that's that can be massively automated with the computer, right? Now, if those junior lawyers had some level of coding, they would be far more useful um, in terms of being able to go through and tweak these algorithms, um, if you know, to better it in, in to better train the software to pick up the things that it might not do. And I think that's definitely the way the future is going. Um, and, I, and for me, that's that's a big part of what I'm telling people is like, you need to understand that in 10, 20 years time, a lot of professions that we know today will not look the same. No. And I think it's like, I can't remember the percentage. I think it was something I really highlight 60, which is what we'd always tell the kids um, that I teach, um, is there aren't going to, you know, those jobs aren't going to exist, but there's going to be six percent new jobs. Like mm. you know, like you say, reskilling to be able to move into one of these jobs, like you say, that just don't exist right now. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, and it completely makes sense. And that's why, you know, data analysts and data scientists are seeing a massive surge in in jobs because which is that reskilling and retooling that we're talking about because their businesses know that today that they need to be able to have this skill set on board for them to be able to compete. So yeah. completely agree, 100%. Um, so we've kind of learned why people should code and what coding is, but when, I mean, even in this discussion, we've, we've kind of dropped Python, PHP, JavaScript, but a lot of people won't really understand what those different languages mean and why there's so many different languages. So what are the different languages that you use? Obviously, you know, we've got Python and, and, and why would you pick those over others? Um, good question. Usually depends on um, what the project is. Um, so I've, I've worked for a lot of different companies and um, it's usually depending on the projects that they've already got in place. Um, but if I was to do something myself, so you tend to have, it tends to fit into two categories, which is uh, back end, which is all your functionality, all the stuff that you don't see and front end, which is, you know, the pretty stuff, um, whether that be the front end of your app or, you know, a website or something like that. Um, so the different languages that I'm, I'm kind of talking about, some do fit into both categories, but it's usually like you'll have uh, JavaScript, not necessarily anymore, but just for front end. Um, and you'll have something like uh, PHP, which would just be back end. Um, in terms of your question of why do we have so many different languages? I actually don't know. That's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> I've actually got no idea. I don't know. Um, That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> no, I know. It's um, yeah, I don't know. But they're all they all have, like I say, they all have their similarities. Um, so in terms of languages that I do, um, I teach Python, I do PHP, uh, JavaScript, Java, C sharp, VB. Um, but if you were then to ask me what would I use for a specific job? Um, depends on documentation. Like it, it tends to be that people bring out a new language or a new framework. So JavaScript's made up of lots of different frameworks and they'll be supported in different ways depending on um, the community that is available or the number of packages, which is like I said before, code that somebody else has written that you can reuse. Um, so in the instance of Python, uh, which is prominently used for backend stuff, but can again be used for frontend. Um, that has like a load of packages that you can reuse. Um, so again, it's really nice for beginners because you can just pick something off the shelf, hook that into your code. And all of a sudden your code's been gone from like just printing the words hello um, to, you know, scraping a website and saving it to a CSV just by importing a different couple of packages. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. It does actually. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it's, I'm glad you raised about packages because it, it's definitely a reason why I've always navigated to certain coding languages. Um, I mean, Python's massive in the data science and AI sector, and, and there's a reason for that. And that's because they were mainly picked up by those, um, those kind of people, right? And actually in physics and uh, I think in maths as well at university, they, they actually teach Python. Um, so there's definitely... I think it's, it's almost like your tribe, right? So it depends on the tribe you've come from um, or you've, you've kind of mixed with, it tends to be, or your job. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're, if you go into corporate, it tends to be Java. There's a lot of people that, that use Java. Um, and then if you're kind of more freelance, independent, smaller, um, you tend to be the more web dev technologies, which are like Python and, uh, PHP and JavaScript and those kind of languages. So I think it really depends on, on kind of where your background has come from. I think I remember picking PHP when I, when I started with, because, um, I know WordPress was PHP. So I was like, all right, okay. Yeah. WordPress is a thing, um, that I want to use. WordPress is a platform for websites if people don't know. Um, but also in terms of the price of it, it was free. Right. Yeah. And and, you know, when you look at certain things like the Microsoft.NET frameworks and stuff like that, you know, it, there was 
there was more of a barrier to entry to these these kind of um, languages because you need certain things. And I remember with iOS, when I wanted to learn how to build an iOS app, I needed a Mac at the time. And I was like, that's crazy. That's a barrier to entry to, to kind of use that, that, that coding language. So I guess um, these are the kind of things that stop people learning certain things. And it just, just depends on kind of who you're with and what you're doing in, in the background. Uh, that means uh, why they happen. But why are there so many? Yeah, I, I just think an evangelist, uh, a coding evangelist has gone, yeah, we could do that better. Like, yeah. And they've so gone, there's, yeah. There's a language that I've just picked up, which is an example of this. And this language, honestly, is actually fantastic. So it's called Darklang. Um, and it's mostly used for uh, developing endpoints. Um, so if you need a connection between one app and another but it's written in such a way that um we to the, where i actually work part-time for a, a hiring company uh, to pay the bills um and um one of our uh, members of staff there who's not a developer has picked this up and has just written like a little slack bot which integrates um it makes people talk to each other now that we're all remote it's really lovely um but yeah like people just kind of get bored i think a little bit and go do you know what i'm gonna create any language um but yeah i would check out Darklang. it's good so i guess it's again it comes to the fact that people think that the problem is over complicated and they try and solve it and that that is a very coder mentality right there right yeah. it's, it's like we could do better so we make it different or um and we'll we'll build it from scratch if we have to, and and that's the kind of thing um, that you you'll hear a lot of developers say. Oh yeah, no, we need to build it from scratch, and, and you're like, oh okay, um, yeah, you don't realize how much work has gone into this. Yeah. And one thing you should always know that when when you go into coding, is that there's always something else to learn. There's always something new, and whether you adopt it or not um you know and they sometimes they die these these certain languages and sometimes you'll never hear it again like darklang it might be really good but it might die in a few years and you will we'll never use it again yeah um and that's and that's a really strange world it's like a giant popularity contest and i think that's a lot of people as well um or like people that i've spoken to I, i'm not just gonna generalize for all people all over the world um <laughs> and really struggle with that as well like you say because there are so many languages and there's so many frameworks do you know the, one of the biggest questions i get asked is where do i start what oh. language should i start with and it's like honestly the the honest answer is just the simplest most straightforward easiest to set up language should be the one to go for like don't worry about like what is fashionable um because it might like you say come and go as quick as double denim did but it might also um it's going to use exactly the same sort of um logic that the other ones do it's just syntactical sugar that's all it is so yeah try not to worry about it just get started yeah, exactly. And that, that kind of brings us nicely onto our next question, which is, um, you know, if, if you're going to make a new app, like where do you start? Um, not necessarily just a mobile app or web app, any anything. Where would you start if you were going to start all over again, looking at all your uh, experience and saying, this is what I know now. This is where I should start. Oh, that is a difficult question. Um Honestly, I, I usually start with a piece of paper um, and, and then just go from there. Literally, I know it doesn't sound very cody, but it's just the way that I work is I'll sit down with a piece of paper um, and then I'll try not to get too hung up on the different technologies. So for uh, my CoKits product, for instance, um, I'm actually at the moment um, creating the prototype with like I said a no code solution um, and I think if you're starting from scratch and you've got an app rather than worrying like should it be Android or should it be iOS do I need to do it in Java which is what you'd need for Android or do I need to do it in Swift, uh, Swift or C for, for iOS just get something out as like, like I say like a no code kind of version and then worry about it because then you can get that feedback back from people of what actually will be useful. And then that should drive your technology, not the other way around. Um, I've definitely been guilty of building things first though and going down the whole route of, oh, look, I have an entire iOS app um, that nobody wants. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'd let I'd let actually other people um, drive your tech. So if you are going to have high numbers of people using it at a, you know between the hours of one and two and no other time, then you might want to look at something like serverless, which is where the uh, box will only kind of generate up as when it's being used, which will save you money. But you might not know that until you've actually got some kind of no code prototype in front of them, which I know, again, no sounds terrible coming from a coder, but I, I actually really love no code solutions. It makes my life so much easier. Yeah. Serverless is a, is a big deal and it only really came about a few years ago and kind of changed my life when um, um, it's using platform as a service type um, on Amazon or AWS. Um, but I love the fact that no code is is basically confirming the problem, the business problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's taking what it is that you are trying to solve, putting that in front of some customers, and then and then working out how much detail um, or how complex your app needs to be. Um, so in terms of Bubble or other no code platforms. Um, have you used them and what, what's your opinion of them? I mean, what, what is it that you felt is bad and, and what, and also good? Obviously we know what some of the good things, but what else? Um, so I, I haven't used bubble, but I've, I've used the other one that I said, app giver. Um, and I actually used a mixture of no code and code solutions. So I use the no code to be able to actually just put something in front of my users, but the, a connection that I needed between that. So I'm, I'm creating like an AI chatbot that helps you coding. Um, and the connection that I needed between that and the stuff that does the AI stuff um, was a little bit custom uh, just for testing. So I actually built that up myself, but it just meant that all I was building was this tiny little section of it. Um, in terms of disadvantages, the only ones that I would find is, and this just could be just because of the one I'm using, is it can be a little bit clunky uh, you might not get exactly what it is that you want in terms of visuals um but then that's when you start to you know you've got that feedback and then you'd start to build it and be like okay so the feedback i've had is that people are only going to use this on uh the on the web so therefore i put in a java uh, solution bring in someone that does ui and ux and then go from there um do you really need it to look visually pleasing from the get-go? I don't know. Uh, I work with children, so the answer is yes. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's, that's the only thing I've really found is struggling to kind of get stuff to look the way that I do. And I think that I've managed to do it in some sense because I know stuff like CSS, which is web technology, so I can manipulate it a little bit more. But I don't know, I, what's your opinion on it? Because you've obviously used it a lot more than I have. Uh, so yeah, it's exactly that. It's a solved, uh, it's a prototype system, right? Yeah. So it's that idea of being able to take a um, a problem and get it in front of the users and turn it into something. Whether it scales, um, I've not really had the opportunity to see what it would be like in, in front of thousands of users using it concurrently. Yeah, um, I'm a bit skeptical. Yeah, I, I, I doubt. Yeah, I doubt it will as well. Um, but if you are getting those kind of numbers, then you should start to really think about what's your next step anyway, right? So um, you've clearly defined the, the problem and, and you're getting good feedback. Um, and that's it, really. It's about rapid iteration and improvement, uh, learning what the customer wants and what they like, and then going back and adding that into the, the no-code platform, which um, if if you are able to do that yourself is, is quite easy. It's, it's a really good option to do that, but to, to pay a developer to do that, that's where it gets a bit trickier and you're not going to have that. I would say you're not going to have that guilt-free use of, yeah. of trying to improve something because you're always thinking about the money and how much it's going to cost to use a developer. Um, and for me, I also think it allows the uh the, the business owner or the founder who's come up with the idea to really go through the logic as well like properly and really understand what it is they're trying to solve um and helps them to think more deeply about the problem and that 
I think it's probably worth his weight in gold because a lot of times, and, and you probably get this as well, as being a developer, everyone comes to you and says, oh, can you make this app? It's going to be, it's going to make you a million. I'm, I'm going to give you 50% of the app. And we get it all the time. And the thing is, most of the time, they never will, right? It's very rare that an app will succeed um, unless you've got um, a massive marketing budget. And I've always said that your tech needs to be about 10% of the uh, of the budget, whereas 90% of the, it should be your marketing because without users, the tech means nothing. Okay, you're never gonna get, you're never gonna get out there in the hands of real people if you um, don't invest in the marketing. And that's where I think no code really comes into its own. Um, and I'm advising a business at the moment, you know, ignore going down a web dev route because you're never gonna get what you really need at the beginning if you blow all your budget on the tech. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'd agree with that. And I, I, I yeah, like I, I think from my point, I, the reason I'm stammering is because also this is my livelihood. Um, <laughs> I'm telling people not to use developers, um, but I know I, I do, I completely agree with that. I think in the first instance, especially when you're very unsure of what you need, and um, like we all know what we want, don't we? And we've all got, like, I'm so guilty of it, of making solutions for stuff um, based on what I think people are going to, you know, use it. Um, but that's, you know, and I'll hold my hands up. I'm, I'm not always right. And stuff doesn't necessarily come out until you start building these things. And you'll know if you've worked with developers before is you'll get halfway through a project and we'll go, actually, that thing that we've said here isn't going to work. That's an, a, another X amount on days or pounds, dollars, whatever, on top of it, because we've not thought through this part of it just yet, because this is the first iteration. So if you can get that first iteration out yourself and then really have clear in your head, it will not only make your product better, it'll make your relationship with your developers better, and it will make um, that feedback better. Like you, you're able to iterate with like basically not spending any money at all, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to take you out of a job <laughs> no. uh, or myself I'm only joking. I'm only joking it's fine or, or for myself because um where we come into our own is when we we know because we get frustrated when um people come back and say oh this is not what we want we want to change it all and it's because they've not really thought about the problem yeah and, I'm guilty of doing it just as much yeah, like 100% and I, I feel like that just even drawing it on a piece of paper is is worth its weight in gold and 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 I completely agree and and there was a, there's another podcast that we've done which is all about you know writing your ideas down on a piece of paper to get them out of your head and essentially if you ask a coder what it is they do they just do that but in code right and and you're just about solving problems and however that looks, you know, we're just glorified problem solvers that, that can speak another language or code another language. We're but, really good at Google. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> Google Meisters. Um, so I guess we've learned kind of like code, you know, why people should learn code and how to kind of really get started with code. But if you were going to get started with code tomorrow, um, do you have resources that you use other than your training course? Yeah. Um, so I there's some really great groups. Um, there's a group called Code Bar, um, which you could go and they stick you with like a one-to-one -one mentor. Um, really good if you've got a project in mind. And in terms of resources itself, um, I... I would more just sort of try and find a project that you care about. So there's a there's a great website called um, Automate the Boring Stuff, um, which includes a lot of small projects where you can automate some automatic emails or something like that. Um, and you know maybe you don't care about that, but for me that sounds quite exciting. I don't have to write stuff, um, but find something that you care about. So find something that's going to change the way that you work in a really small way, because then that is, you're gonna be more inclined to actually do it then. So rather than going, oh, right, I'm gonna to go to Code Academy or I'm gonna go learn on Khan Academy, I think it's the other one, um, actually find a project um, 
and do it that way. And then you can find resources based on that. Um, I would recommend if you're looking for like tutorials or stuff like that, there's a really great website called dev.2. Um, and they have a, it's all written by developers, um, but they have a collection of um, like tutorials, which are from beginner, beginner, all the way up to advanced. But it's a really nice community. You can ask questions on there. Everyone's really lovely and they have code snippets and it, people tend to explain in a really nice way. Um, and then, yeah, the, going back to the libraries and built-in packages, I would just make use of those. So if you've got an idea, like say you go and automate the boring stuff, um, actually have a look um, just using the Google search like package for X, Y, Z. Um, it's not specific putting you into certain places um, because it's really hard to do without knowing what everybody wants to build. Um, but I would, I don't stay away from like Code Academy and Khan Academy and things like that. Like I still think they're a really good use of like, they, they're a good resource, but the issue with them is they don't teach you how to make mistakes. So they'll go through it and they'll be like, okay, this is a variable, which is um, how you store data in coding. This is a conditional, um, but if then they won't then say, okay, this is a conditional failing. Whereas the benefit of doing your own project is you will fail and you will fail hard, but that is a good thing. And it will teach you actually, when I see this error message, this means that I've done this wrong. Um, very quickly though, on, on the whole thing of error messages, when you get error messages, um, I tend to just read the bottom line, just ignore everything else. Bottom line tends to tell you what, it, what it's doing and the rest is just really confusing and yeah. don't put that into Google, but there you go. No, I love that. was a that. bit waffly, but. <laughs> No, I love that you um, kind of really emphasize the fact that it's it's that point of trying and failing because the kind of online courses, they go for a systematic approach. Yeah. Would you, I'm trying to think the last time I actually learned from a course more than I've learned from going off and trying it and I, I can't as a coder I just don't think I, I have actually seen anything and it, if anything what I would do is I go on YouTube and I find the snippets of what it is that I'm trying to do and then kind of work backwards or reverse engineer and, and things like that um, but the courses they tend to bombard you with too much information all at once and I think that's why a training course like yours is that you give them a snippet and then they give you you give them time to your time to basically go through and and problem solve with you so yeah. that you can explain your thought process of how you would go about doing this and i think that's really important um so i love that that's really good and i think people are going to really uh, take that away so what are the kind of three quick wins that you would give to anyone who is thinking about um, using coding um for the business um or, or do you just want to start to learn how to code what's your three quick wins um three quick things i would have a look so there's a like you mean as if they want to learn how to code yeah yeah, yeah. however um, you see it okay um so three quick wins the biggest thing that i or one of the big other questions that i come up a lot is or complaints not complaints i don't get complaints um is um i don't have time to code so i'm going to go on that whole elk of like i don't have time to code so you only have 20 minutes so what i would do is i would look at a website called project eula which is spelled project e-u-l-e-r it has a collection of some really small projects which are you know print out some prime numbers and then that gives you that in that 20 minute time you could just do some quick sort of little exercises like that there is also another website called code wars um which is um again little exercises which you can do in that 20 minute gap to get you using some of these basics that you learn um and in that in one thing I haven't mentioned is that there isn't one way to code. There's like hundreds and hundreds of ways to code. And what Code Wars does is it will show you how you've done it and it will show you how everybody else has solved it. And you'll be so surprised how such a simple problem can be solved in so lots of different ways. And it really sort of opens up your eyes to that. 
Um, and then the third thing, um, I suppose it's going back to this start simple. So you don't have to, I, I talked about Python being, you know, there's very little setup, but you, there's actually really useful um, sandboxes and the sandboxes is a, a web page which acts as a coding editor and a compiler which translates your code down into machine code. So you can see lots of pretty things. Um, and there's one for JavaScript called JS Fiddle. There is one for Python. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now, um, but if you just type Python online editor, um, and then that means that you don't have to actually even open up an app and wait for that to open or install anything. You can just go and you can start putting little snippets of code into your web browser. So that's my three, I only have 20 minutes. It's not an excuse anymore. <laughs> and, that's, and that is a big one, right? That's exactly what people always say is that they just don't have the time to code. Yeah. And, and so I love those. Thank you for those. And how would people be able to connect with you um, after this podcast? If they wanted to either chat to you or look at your training course or even look at my code kit, how, how yeah. would they do that? Um, so I am on LinkedIn and I have a website. Uh, fun fact, my parents spelt my name wrong. So my website is melanie.co.uk. That is spelled M-E-L-E-N-I-E.K-D-E-K. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, which is uh, LinkedIn slash in slash Melanie. Again, spelt wrong. Um, I am on Instagram at Melanie underscore codes. And I'm also on Twitter at underscore Melsky. And your training course is on Melanie.co.uk? And my training course is on Melanie.co.uk. But just send me a message. I'm, yeah, I'm here. I'm happy to answer any questions. Absolutely fine. Great. Thank you, Melanie. I really appreciate that. And, uh, and I'm sure that you're going to get a lot of people uh, contacting you. Wasn't Melanie great explaining coding in layman's terms? And she's given lots of useful tips about how to get going with coding. But what did you think of Melanie's quick wins? Quick win number one. If you don't have time to code, check out Project Eula for those small projects to practice on. Especially fits in those 20 minute gaps in your day. Quick win number two, do practice projects on Code Wars, which also shows you how other people have solved the problem and highlights there are hundreds of ways to code. And quick win number three, start simple. You don't need a full development environment. Just use a browser based sandbox. But what was your favorite bit of the show? Tell me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, where you can find me at Hair Digital. And don't forget, you can also watch the show on YouTube or listen on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And remember, I'm giving away 10 of my favorite business books, including Lean Startup and Business Model Generation to one lucky winner. And these are great for all levels of skill, from a CEO to a founder. And to enter, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, then scroll to the bottom and leave a review. And it doesn't have to be detailed. You can just say that you love this podcast. It just takes a few minutes to write a review and then email quickwinceo at hair.digital with a copy of your review. But thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm your Quick Win CEO, signing out.